Welcome to the Heavy Girls Podcast. I'm Christina Long, Creative Director of Black Girls World Zine, based in New York City. We love alternative music, punk music, heavy music, and everything in between. And in this podcast, we chat with amazing musicians and creatives in the space, taking a deeper dive into their creative practice. In this episode, we talk to Tana Tucker, an award-winning New York City-based illustrator whose Afro-futuristic work has been published in editions of Lab Magazine, Believer Magazine, and many more. She's currently working on a new graphic novel that will launch later this year in 2023, and we're really excited to speak with her today. Let's get into it. Welcome to this episode of Heavy Girls with your host, Courtney Long, Senior Editor of Black Girls World here. <laughs> Today we have our special guest, Tana Tucker. Tana, why don't you say a little bit about yourself? Hi, Courtney and Christina. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, my name is Tana. I'm a cartoonist and writer currently uh, living between Brooklyn and Paris. Awesome. Brooklyn and Paris. That's a wonderful combination. I love it. You should you should come. Please come. Yeah. Tana has been published in magazines like Believer and The Bylines. And she's a comic book artist and writer who often is described as having Afrofuturism framework. Now, Christina, I know you got that master's degree. Can you start the question on Afrofuturism for those of us who don't know what it is? Oh, I'm not I'm not gonna attempt to define Afrofuturism, but um I think that we'd love to know more about um your practice, Tana, and and how you would describe Afrofuturism this day and age. When I was in grad school at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, it was a big thing in the black art community in Chicago. But, you know, depending on regions and where you are, I think it kind of shifts what kind of conversations black creatives might be happening. So, yeah, what's your take? How would you describe Afrofuturism for your practice, Tana? Yeah, I mean, Afrofuturism is definitely um, a a big piece of sort of like the lens I like to uh, write and create within. And it is, I I mean, similarly, I'm like, okay, this is a really broad umbrella term. And a lot of things are sort of collected under underneath it. Um, I, I think for my part, I'm interested in it as um, a place to use imagination speculative fiction, uh, science fiction to think and sort of process, uh, you know, sort of like liberatory uh, politics and, um, you know, to sort of scheme and think about uh, radical liberated futures, present, the present and like liberated past, like even like how we relate to history. I'm I'm really interested in how you can use it as a lens to even think about the historical and historical memory, which might seem counterintuitive because it's the word future is in the definition, but um, that's how I, that's how I think about it and using, yeah, using speculative fiction and writing to think through those things. In the early 2000s when I was in Chicago, there was a lot of like paying homage to 
a lot of uh, 1970s type Afrofuturistic content around yeah. the music of that time, right? And, you know, talking about outer space and aliens and... Yeah, like Sun Ra is a big <laughs> touch point for Afrofuturism and like that sort of like psychedelic imagery and... Um, even Du Bois, uh, at the turn of the century or like, yeah, through the twenties wrote Afrofuturist short stories. I mean, I don't think, you know, that word wasn't around then, but using science fiction, uh, to talk about race and class. And you can actually read those, uh, short stories, the comments. And I think it's the, I forget the name of the second, um, sci-fi short story that he had written, but they're both available through the library of Congress. Um, so like, you know, using genre fiction and that imagery, uh, to sort of, uh, you know, just to talk about these things and as like, I don't know, tools for, you know, broadening the horizons of, uh, the imagination and what's possible is, is pretty old, um, and is used in all these different mediums and yeah, Mm -hmm. Sun Ra is, is like a really, uh, I think that was probably my entry point, probably like my first contact if I'm being really, really specific in particular, mm-hmm. my first contact with Afrofuturist like sort of imagery was probably like Outcast Atlian's record. Like when I was a teenager, before I knew anything about jazz and like Sun Ra and all that kind of stuff. That makes so, sense. Yeah, and also there's a really cool collective you might be interested in in Philly uh, called the Afrofuturist Affair. Mm. It's like, yeah, visual art and music and uh, the noise artist and avant-garde jazz musician. She's in a bunch of different things. Uh, More Mother's like a part of that collective too. Very When you say outcast, do you mean like Andre 3000 outcast? Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. I think, yeah, I think the record, was the record I think called just, maybe I'm getting the record name wrong. No, you probably had it, right? I think the record's Equemini. Sorry, I said aliens. Yeah, I think it's Equemini, that that record. That's awesome. Yeah, because I was like, I was I was still kind of a kid then, so but Me now too. that I think yeah, about yeah. it, that was pretty Afrofuturist, some of the stuff that was going on in those music videos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was really the music videos first. I don't even yeah, I think it was even a little bit later when I was out of high school that I got to listen to like the record in its entirety. So so like in addition to that layer of the of Afrofuturism, it does seem like in your work um you do tap into history quite a bit. Would you say you consider yourself like a researcher? Oh yeah. I mean I love doing historical research. Um and I think uh, you know, a big part of what I'm interested in is sort of mapping mostly sort of like leftist insurrectionist moments in history moments of interracial solidarity global solidarity uh and anti-fascism and sort of uh reimagining them and thinking about them through a speculative lens and also just trying to normalize them by visually reconstructing them in comics um Mm -hmm. because i think uh it's it's something that keeps me up it it allows me to have a little bit of optimism, I think, to be able to like remember and like remember through the act of drawing um, these really, these really radical moments of resistance. Uh, I think without that, I would slide into like full despair. Um, And so, yeah, and I also, you know, I think even though it's 
even though I'm sort of dealing with it in this uh, imaginative, um, sometimes psychedelic sphere, uh, I want it to, uh, to ultimately, you know, be, be something that can be maybe like a political tool or useful for people like being introduced to these histories um and and something that could maybe make them more accessible dan i was so impressed by your website i had went through your oh, comic about you. yeah blacks who defected to the filipino insurrectionists during the pacific yeah. war i yeah. did not know that yeah oh yeah i'm so glad i'm so glad that you found that comic yeah that oh that was incredible and i mean there's with that there was maybe only just like a dozen documented um the most famous uh the most famous of which um who became like uh a leader in guerrilla warfare and they didn't just affect they they fought with with the filipinos against oh, wow. the americans um which is is something that i didn't know about it's not something you learn about you know in school as part of sort of like a mainstream american historical narrative um, and I wanted to sort of think about it. I was taking the real, there is a real documented account of a black woman who passed as a man to enlist in the military. So it was like a, a black or a Buffalo soldier woman. Um, so there was like, there's one account known about that. And she didn't, um, she didn't enlist in the Philippines, but I'm like, well, if there's one that we know about, there's probably plenty of others because the military was was sort of even if they didn't like politically identify with like American imperialism or, or, or you know weren't didn't have a strong like feeling about it the military was a way out um you know just a way out and gave more sort of um a autonomy and agency you know during Jim Crow so I, I imagine a lot of people would be motivated to join regardless of gender and so I wanted to sort of fantasize and dream about like what if there was such a figure uh you know in the philippines and in the philippines i think historically women have been been able to openly fight uh as like as women as feminine presenting femmes and women have been able to participate and fight um in these resistance movements so she wouldn't necessarily have to hide that she was a woman and then i like the idea of this black soldier uh who is a woman who you know ends up in this you know, far-flung place during this occupation who defects and um, you know, meets this other woman. And then there, it's a little bit of a ghost story too. So, um, but yeah, just kind of using that and hopefully, you know, stoking curiosity and people to learn more about that, that moment. And yeah, just maybe hopefully like a small contribution or tool to, you know, cure the very broad, like historical amnesia. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Heavy Girls podcast so that you can stay up to date on all our upcoming events and announcements. And I feel like your art, you are so realistic in the way you're drawing. It really puts you there in the jungle. So it's like for oh, me to have never heard you. that. You're welcome. For me to have never heard that story before, it it does something to be able to see it from your perspective of maybe this is what happened. It makes it feel more real. So then I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I could see us there. And it's also cool, I think, 
that you're shining a spotlight on these moments in history where they're fighting for liberty and, you know, taking control as a woman, because you're right. When do we hear about that in class as students? It's really powerful to think there are a ton of more stories out there of women who were doing things and they quietly just didn't talk about them. Mm-hmm. Or weren't documented or couldn't be because of, you know, survival and mystery and and, um, and secrecy were the things that were protecting you, right? Um, so yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah, no problem. So I have a follow-up question for that. For a story like that, how did you stumble across something like that? Like, are you in archives and stuff? I, oh, you know what? The, I first came across that. You know, I came across that when I was, I was researching for something else. Just really, I was reading a lot about Western expansion in, in the United States and Buffalo soldiers. Um, and uh, in 1900, 1901, uh, there were, uh, the Buff- well, they're called the Buffalo soldiers, but they're the all black regiments, right? Um, they were stationed in San Francisco, San Francisco Presidio for two reasons. One, they were like early sort of park protectors and and yes that can be problematic right because you're you're still talking about uh these lands taken from indigenous people that are converted into these parks um but that aside they were like the first uh park protectors um enforcing laws against logging and hunting in places like yosemite and king's canyon in california and that was where they were deployed to be forced uh, or to, to be stationed in the Philippines during the American occupation. Um, so anyways, I lost track. Yeah. So through just reading about the Buffalo soldiers and, and everywhere that they were sort of stationed, um, and deployed, I, I learned about their time in California and I, I lived in the Bay area for 11 years. So, um, I was able to, you know, you can actually go to the Presidio, like a lot of that's, you know, it's an all military base. It's still, you know, like a lot of the the things that were there like preserved. Um, I didn't physically go to archives, but I relied a lot on like JSTOR, like uh, academic, it was like online academic archives um, and found, you know, um, uh, found a lot of, of writing that way and researched it that way. Um, and then just through like Library of Congress and yeah, places like that, but I, I completely stumbled on it um just doing a lot of research and thinking about buffalo soldiers and um was really deep into like westerns and western expansion and and all of that and black cowboys and then found all of this and um was also just really interested in these moments of interracial solidarity and i and that's obviously a huge um you know de- depiction of Afro-Asian solidarity and wanted to use that as as a way to sort of remember and talk about that. So that's how I got to that, but it was completely by accident. I have a follow-up question. So for a project like that um, and the illustrations and everything that you did, about how long did it take you to complete that project? That one, oh, that was pretty short. I think I had been doing a lot of reading over a few months, but um, I drew the comics, uh, I think over the course of a month. And then I did a couple of follow-up illustrations later on for a show with the same characters. Um, 
but yeah, that initial comic, the four page comic, and then I did a couple of other just sort of vignette pieces I did over the course of a month. And, wow, that's so yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> I was also, I used it as a way too to like, I was, I've been drawing um, comics more and more in the last several years. So mm -hmm. that was also um, during a period, not with just that piece, but I was working on a bunch of comics to sort of try to figure out my shorthand because I'm not trained as a cartoonist. I, um, yeah, I'm trained as, a, as an illustrator and I, I, I worked a lot more slowly. So I was trying to figure out like, what does my style look like in a very, you know, shorthand sort of like, Queen. what does my style look like in this shorthand way that will allow me to draw comics in a reasonable amount of time? So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can completely relate. Over the years, uh, Courtney and I and our younger brother have, um, had all sorts of ideas for different comics and stuff but but yeah to your point it was a struggle trying to come up with like a quick hand version of all these different things we were trying to do and i would always burn out because uh, yeah i'm more of like a a fine artist right where we spend yeah. a long time maker, right yeah print making and handmade books and it's one of the reasons why we started the zine because I was like, let's forget about all of the fancy special things we could do um, and just like Xerox copy something <laughs> quick yeah. and fast so it doesn't like freeze us up in the creative process uh, before we've even gotten started. Um, uh, and my last question about your process is about music. Like, do you work with music while you're um illustrating things and what kind of music do you listen to when yeah. you're working? oh yeah i definitely listen to a lot of music and podcasts and audiobooks um when i'm writing uh i don't listen to any music when i'm in the writing stage and sometimes like if i'm struggling with the draw it depends where i'm at in the process so if i'm kind of struggling with the drawing like i'm not having a good drawing day i have to have silence or um, maybe I can have music, but it has to be something like jazz, like nothing with lyrical content. Um, and then when I'm sort of doing like finishing, just like coloring and like, it's, it's a lot more meditative. I can have more music on. Um, it depends what I'm working on. I listen to a lot of Coltrane, <laughs> like anyway, but that's, I mean, that's one of my favorite things to have playing when I'm like, I have to plow through the next like nine hours of just like working. Um, that's something that I play over and over again, but I listen to all kinds of things and sometimes it depends on what I'm drawing, but yeah, I listen pretty much, I listen to pretty much anything and everything anyway. That's Everything awesome. except for pop country, honestly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be like I mean, I love bluegrass, and I, you know, but not pop country. But uh, so yeah, I could on any given day bluegrass or punk or yeah, anything jazz. You yeah. Oh, what? That's actually pretty funny because like even you know, Courtney and I are from the Midwest, and I have to admit, I still got some Shania Twain in my playlist. <laughs> Listen, I'm not mad at it. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, jazz is awesome. I think, you know, I didn't really 
I was classically trained in violin for like 20 years. But I didn't really tap into jazz until I moved here uh, to New York about uh, 10 years ago. And um, Courtney, I don't know if you would agree, but we also started dabbling into like where experimental jazz started to meet up with metal and and sort of get into um, this thing they call mathcore, where it's it's um as playful with time signatures as traditional jazz but it's also like hyper aggressive and sporadic right um and and yeah it's one of our favorite things now that is so cool i love recommendations because i've heard of the genre but i don't know anything about it i couldn't name any musicians or or bands that would demonstrate that genre so Yes, yes, we can share some recommendations. Um, My favorite is Architects UK, but she's a more classically trained one. So I, I just know what they sound like when they're doing math core, but I can't say how they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, you're like into the into the math of it all, which is really rad. Like you're as somebody who can read music, like you've got that mm-hmm. layer of. Yeah, so it's cool. more of the which is kind of a. I would say sometimes is, is the difference between punk and metal, right? Is like metalheads can get real serious, perhaps too serious, um, to the point of like, yeah, can I take a look at the sheet music of technically what it is we're trying to do here? Um, versus punk, which I feel like has always been more about expression and less about your technical ability, right? And like, let that go. Let's just play it and have a good time. Um, yeah. But the metalheads are more like, no, I want I want to read exactly what was composed and how it's supposed to sound. Um, I actually didn't know that just that particular distinction. I mean, I knew with, yeah with punk artists like something like half the time I don't necessarily even know how to play the instruments when they start, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know that with metal that that was like a little bit of a signature. How did you get into Coltrane? Was it your family playing it, which is how you got into it? Or how'd you get into it? No, I didn't like, yeah, I didn't really grow up with like music like that in the house. Um, I think, oh, it was like later in life, like probably like end of college. And it was, it was definitely like John Coltrane first for several years. And then I got into Alice Coltrane, which is a religious experience for me like her I, I would say for both both of them I love I love both of them but um I don't honestly I couldn't tell you I I don't remember I feel that way about Octavia Butler I hear so much about how we need to read Octavia Butler and I've tried a couple times but it's this I'm having a hard time getting into it still listen it's not for the faint of heart so I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't blame you blasphemy blasphemy no I no I love I absolutely love Octavia Butler but I it is like I understand that yeah I also understand how it's like I don't know this is like so intense but um no I absolutely love yeah I love Octavia Butler even though like I'm not even really like a big horror person like I I'm I can't handle a lot of horror but I will like allow myself to be taken there to read her work because she writes really visceral and incredible uh, like body horror 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I understand it. <laughs> but Courtney, you sound like you're like, you you know all about Octavia Butler. Like, that's your... I only read one book. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but I know she... She's having a she's having a real comeback right now yeah, with the show. Yeah, yeah, I'm like I like some horror, but I don't like a lot. So I know she has that new show, um, or they've created this show based on her book Kindred. But I'm like, yeah, it's scary. So I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if I can support. <laughs> like, it's okay. You can support in other ways, and honestly, like anytime it's like a slave narrative you're dealing with. I mean, Kindred is intense. Like I read, I read the book years ago, and um, it's yeah, not the faint of heart. It's like so compelling and like uh, you know, really interesting. But it's like you, it's not. It's also at the same time not something you can binge because it's intense and heavy so yeah don't feel bad you know the work is going to be there when you're ready for it and um there you can access her and he's like some of her side all of her stuff has a little bit of horror um but some of her weird sci-fi stuff too is you know that could be your entry point so Mm -hmm. just know that it's there for you and you're ready and don't feel bad (laughs) (laughs) cool so it looks like we're at time tana did you want to share any upcoming things that are happening for you? Anything people should be on the lookout? Are we allowed to talk on? about the new book? I don't know if you can rules, but oh, thank you so much. We we can definitely chat a little bit about it. Um, I'm collaborating with Yatasha Womack, who um, who actually writes extensively about Afrofuturism, and she also just has a very encyclopedic brain um, about music particularly when you come when it comes to house and jazz um so i'm collaborating with her on this afrofuturist graphic novel called black cube and um it will be out probably next year i'm still drawing it so i have i have a lot to draw but that's what we're working on and um yeah we're really excited about it it's it's a lot it's rooted a lot in music um so we're both really into music like I said and then we, I think we each are a little bit more encyclopedic about different genres and it's really like hinged on that there's a lot of music throughout it so um mm. really excited about it and it basically sort of creates its own soundtrack so when I'm working on the book I'm I'm working with the the music is dictated by the book and each chapter has its own something going on so yeah oh that sounds really exciting thank you i know can't wait to read it when it comes out i know it's gonna be amazing just based on your past work so happy writing and drawing thank you so much thank you thank you so much i mean i love drawing it but it's yeah it's it's 240 pages total and i'm like Oh yeah, got a lot of of ways to go, so pray for me. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show today.